Well, having married off my last, second and last daughter on uh, Memorial Day weekend and having married off our older daughter back in 2018 and having thrown one of the more elaborate uh, rehearsal dinners I've ever been the privilege to being a part of, I feel as if I have a little bit of understanding about weddings, wedding etiquette and wedding critique. And let me tell you, um, if you don't have a Jody Farmer in your life, get one quick, because Jody is an amazing asset when it comes to throwing a party, but particularly a wedding party. And she did a fabulous job, and it was my privilege simply to hold her coat and, and do what she needed me to do to help make it fabulous experiences. Uh, I love weddings. Weddings are times of joy. I, I love to be a part of them, even if I'm not officiating, but I especially like it when I'm officiating because I get to announce the couple as husband and wife for the very first time. And that is just one of those really special moments for me, particularly if I've done uh, any wedding preparation with a couple. Um, for whatever reason, I've been blessed with the opportunity to, to marry many couples over the 20 plus years of my ministry. And uh, um, it's just a joy to be a part of. Um, as a matter of fact, right now, I just, just uh, on Friday afternoon, Justin and Madeline back there wave you guys are preparing to get married in March on the 6th of, 5th of, 5th, 5th, okay, I better get that right, the 5th of March, and uh, right here at service, and so we're doing uh, premarital preparation right now, and we talk through the service, and it's an exciting time, I love, love doing it, it's a privilege, um, but I want to talk to you a minute for about the wedding, because this is an, uh, just a, a chopped full experience that we get in the scripture, Jesus is is his, this is an important public event, although it's not public like, you know, at the temple or in front of thousands of people, but it's, 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 it's his coming out party, so to speak. Jesus has been quietly doing the work of a carpenter and living in this obscure village of Nazareth. And now he comes on the scene, as John reports to us, having collected a few disciples, probably only about five disciples were actually present because we don't have any record that, that, that the others have been called yet, but perhaps they have been, but it seems that the scripture would suggest that only the first five have been called. But weddings are an important part of the biblical story, the Bible story. If you think about it, the weddings are from, from Genesis to Revelation. In Genesis, we have the creation of the man and the woman, and they come together, and it's, a, it's somewhat of a, a wedding, right? You know, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. You know, Adam says to Eve and, and, and God says that it's good. And so there's this, this wedding of, of sorts that's right there at the beginning of Genesis. And then if you go to the very end of the Bible, to Revelation, you have Jesus portrayed as the bridegroom who's coming to receive his bride. And, and, it, and, it, and it's come Lord Jesus. It's, it's in this sort of metaphorical idea of Jesus coming as the, as the bridegroom and we as the church who've been prepared for him to be his bride. Right dab smack in the middle of the Bible is the Song of Solomon's, which is a love poem between Solomon and his wife, one of his wives. We know he had many wives, but, but one, we don't know which one, but, but we have this love poem right in the middle of the Bible and, and, and chopped in between are all sorts of important weddings. I'm reading again, the Bible through. And, and so you have the, the, uh, Abraham receiving, uh, Sarah, his wife, and you've got Isaac receiving Rebecca, his wife, and you've got, 
you've got Jacob uh, receiving both Leah and Rachel. And, and so, you know, it gets complicated as we know in life, but, but, there's, but, but there are these weddings that are throughout. And, and here in the New Testament, as Jesus begins his public ministry in the Gospel of John, we have another wedding. Except this time, Jesus is just a guest. He's at the wedding. And he, but you need to understand that, that this is an important symbolism for what is about to take place. That, that Jesus has come to ultimately be our bridegroom, to be the one who receives us. Isaiah 62, that, we were, that Dawn read a moment ago, reminds us that, that we, as, as the new Israel, are called to be married to God. God wants to marry us, not in a weird way. But he wants to be in covenant relationship with us. That's what Madeline and Justin will do. They'll, they'll make covenant. They'll, they'll make commitment to each other before God when they get married. And, and what, what Isaiah 62 is saying is that God wants to be in that committed covenant relationship with us. That intimate relationship with us. Paul will talk in the New Testament in Ephesians about marriage being a symbol or a sign of Christ's love for the church. Paul says to husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Well, how did he love the church? Sacrificially, laying his life down. My marriage counselor told me 30 years ago that what, what being, the, being the head of your household, what being the husband in your relationship means that you are the first person that gets to say you're sorry. You get to lead in saying, I'm sorry. And husbands, we know that we have to say that often, right? It's a sign of the Lord's, if there were more people here today, that, that joke would have got a little more laugh. But that's um, okay. But no, there, but, but there's a sign to us of Christ's love for the church. When our young couple gets married, we'll remind ourselves that that they are a, a signpost, uh, something that points to something greater. Getting married in the church is about asking God's blessing upon it and about seeing it as a fulfillment of God's purpose for all creation, that we would become in this covenant love relationship with the God who loved us and gave his life for us. Epiphany, the season we're in now, where the green banners and the green stoles and all of it, is, is that is, is a sense, as a season of Christ being made real, being made revealed to his people. As we follow the season of Christmas, where we, where we celebrate Christ's incarnation, him coming, taking on human form. And in the season of Epiphany, we have all these scriptures which point to who Jesus is. He is glorified. And it's, it's, it's no more aptly put than it is here at the end of our scripture today where it says this the first verse 11 verse this the first sign of his signs Jesus did at Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him we're going to be looking at season of epiphany of how Christ is known and loved and ultimately obeyed by those who say yes to him but there's a crisis at this wedding. The crisis is that they run out of, of wine, which would be a huge crisis. I can tell you that Jody Farmer would not allow there to be a shortage of wine at any wedding she throws. As a matter of fact, we're still drinking leftover wine, wedding wine, because we bought too much 
but that's a whole nother story. But here there's this wedding at Cana and there's no more wine. Now you have to understand that weddings in the, in the ancient world were, were long affairs, much like they are in Africa still today. I've spoken with Bishop James Chell and he's explained to me that Kenyan weddings go on for days and it is the bridegroom's responsibility to make sure that everything is there that's needed. Now, I don't know when the custom changed that the bride's father pays for everything instead of the bridegroom, but it's important that you understand that detail because what Jesus says to Mary directly has to do with the fact that the bridegroom is the one who supplies all that is needed for the wedding in the ancient world. And so at some point during the week, we don't know exactly when, the wine runs out. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, comes to Jesus and says, they've run out of wine. And Jesus responds to her, woman, what is that to do with me? My time has not yet come. You need to understand that, that, that there is a sense in which Jesus is reminding Mary and the disciples and all that are present and us who are reading. John was probably that unspoken, unnamed disciple that was there. That, that his time has not yet come. The fulfillment, when he will be our bridegroom. When he will come and he will provide all that we need. And if you look back at the prophetic words in the Old Testament, it's, it talks about that when the bridegroom comes, there will be an abundance of wine that will never end. An overflowing supply. And that directly is connected to what's going on here. So don't get caught up with wow, Jesus, not very kind to your mother or, or what's he saying? It's, 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 he's reminding everyone present, including us who are reading it now, that his time has not yet come. But there is a time when he will come as that bridegroom and he will provide all that there is of good in the world symbolized in the overflowing of wine. So he comes to Mary and he says these words to her, my time has not yet come. And what does Mary say in response? Do whatever he tells you to do. If you, anybody knows the, the sort of the our core purpose of servants of Christ, our, our, our core purpose statement says that to make disciples of Jesus, learning to do that all that Jesus said. It comes directly out of the context of Mary's response. Mary, who for us becomes the epitome of a disciple. Do whatever Jesus tells you to do. Do whatever he tells you to do. And then Jesus begins to act, right? And, and so for us, that becomes this phrase that we can hang on to as servants of Christ, that we want to learn to do all that Jesus said. We want to hear his voice and we want to respond in obedience. Because to know Christ as he's revealed, to love him is to respond in love because we trust that he has our best in mind. A new year is a great time to consider, are you being attentive to what Jesus is telling you to do? Are you being attentive to it? A lot of people will begin a new plan. I, I told you I, I read through the Bible each year. It's a good time to begin to a new practice of reading through scripture. It could be the whole Bible or it could be a book of the New Testament or an Old Testament book or, or, or a proverb or 
one of the Psalms each day or all sorts of things. But, but are you being intentional about listening and listening for Jesus to guide you and tell you what you are to do? It's a great question to ask at the beginning of a year. We're not going to hear him if we're not being attentive to what he might want to say to us. He's not going to like knock us off our horse, probably the way he does St. Paul, though he does that. But believe me, you don't want Paul's job. It was a pretty tough job. But for most of us, it's about being attentive to listening to hearing his voice. And how does the Lord speak to us? Well, he speaks to us through uh, five different ways that I can tell. And I, I don't, it's not my own coming up with this. It's really out of the teachings of Alpha. And, but I, I think it's so true. There's five ways I think the Lord speaks to us. First, he speaks to us through our common sense. Sometimes he just speaks to us through us knowing, look, this common sense. For instance, if I don't actually take some time in the morning and sit quietly before the Lord, perhaps opening scripture, I'm not going to hear what God wants me to do. That just is common sense to me. Other times, Jesus speaks to us directly through his word, through the scriptures as we're reading. Sometimes he speaks to us through prayer, the third way. Sometimes he speaks to us through other people, other Christians. And sometimes he speaks to us through outstanding signs, things that sort of stand out to us and are like, wow, it's hard to ignore that, right? I remember one time I was, I was struggling with a decision and I was feeling really insecure and in walked this, uh, this sports team and they all had t-shirts that said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And it was on the back of their t-shirts. It was a Catholic high school in Jacksonville. And I'm like, all right, Lord, that's a sign. Okay. You're, you're encouraging me this morning with all of these athletes and their, and their, uh, their, their shirts with this saying on the back, this word from scripture on the back. That's from the book of Philippians. Now I tested this out because I know that, you know, theoretically that can sound right. I asked Jody without telling her those things, I asked Jody, I said, because I knew she had had a hard decision to make a while back. And I said, how did you make that decision? And Jody said, well, she said, I had to realize that I needed to be paying attention. I had to be listening, common sense. She said, I began to pray. And she said, God called me to journal, right, babe? She called me, he called me to journal and I began to write out my prayers to the Lord and began to speak kind of what I was feeling. She said, I talked to you a little bit about it. She said, and then she said, God called me to kind of read back through my journal. And as I read back through my journal, it was like there were signs that were reminding me of the things that he was confirming in my life. She says, and ultimately I had a peace about the decision and I made the decision. Now she didn't mention scripture in that particular case. I didn't give her the five, but, but, but she mentioned four out of the five. So are we being attentive? Are we being like Mary? Are we asking ourselves to do whatever he calls us to do? If we're not, we're going to miss him. But if we are, we're going to be led by him. He's going to direct our lives. Not always as clearly as we want. Sometimes this decision Jody made took quite a long time. I mean, it took months for her to work through, but the Lord was faithful. And she has complete peace that she made the right decision. Scripture, prayer, our common sense, 
other Christians giving us insight and miraculous signs. These are the tools we have to help us hear and discern what the Lord wants to say to us. I asked her permission, by the way, before I shared all that. But I don't want to just simply leave you with this command to work harder and to seek greater clarity or to be more disciplined. Because I think that's oftentimes the kind of sermons we hear at the beginning of years, right? Sort of the New Year's sermon, New Resolution kind of sermon Bishop Menz talked about last night. I I don't want to end there, but I, I do want to emphasize it. But I want to end by then pointing to the miracle that Jesus did, right? By the way, if you're ever reading or preaching scripture, make sure you focus on what Jesus does. That's the most important thing. And what is that Jesus does? Jesus performs this miracle. He bring, even though it's not his time yet, even though he's not yet come as the bridegroom, he comes and he brings an abundance of wine. I mean, gallons and gallons of wine. He takes it from the water that's been put in these stone jars for, for Jewish purification. I believe that that is it's meant for us to see. It's, it's, it's not subtle at all. Jesus is saying, I'm going to take all the preparation of Judaism, all the things you've done to learn the object lessons of purification before a holy God, and I want you to fill them to the brim. And then I'm going to transform all those laws and purification laws and all that preparation, I'm going to transform that into a wine that overflows. A new wine that is representative of the life that is abundant that he brings. Do you know that Jesus will say in chapter 10 of John's gospel, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. I meet some people and it's an old song that's going to date me. But I meet, some punk, I meet some people, and I just want to say to them that old Cheryl Crow song, if it makes you happy, why are you so sad? If your way of living is so amazing, why are you so darn sad? Jesus has come to bring life and life abundantly. And it's demonstrated in this overflowing of this new wine. And the master of the ceremonies comes and says, usually you wait and give the bad wine at the end after people have drunk freely. Now, wine in the ancient world was not as potent as it is now. It's like drinking a, a Budweiser. I mean, it was not as strong, but, but still they, they had drunk freely to the point that they had drank all the wine. And Jesus makes this new wine, which is better than anything they had had before. Don't miss that. What Jesus offers us in the kingdom is so much better than anything we can have outside of him. I'm standing here before you to tell you that I've, I've experienced some stuff. And believe me, there is nothing that compares with the goodness of the kingdom and the new life that Christ offers. Kingdom relationships. Last week you heard from Bishop Martin Menz and his wife, Angela, and their daughter, Rachel. And it is such a joy that when they come and stay with us and to have fellowship with them. And we got to go up to Trinity, our, our seminary, and spend a week in fellowship. And again, we were in kingdom relationships. And when, we, when Jody and I come here on Sunday morning, it's to be with you who we are in kingdom relationships with. And it is good. 
And that's just a foretaste of all that the Lord has for us in terms of the abundance of joy. Friends, just as Christ supplies wine at this banquet, so he supplies an abundance of all that is good for us in, in this world as he pours out his blessings upon us. We, yes, have to respond in obedience to him, but in response to obedience, we receive the joy. Because the servants obeyed Jesus and filled these stone jars, which probably took a long time to do in the ancient world. Remember, there are no faucets, so I don't know how long it took them to fill these jars. But as they, they filled them up, they began to experience the joy and the goodness of this new wine. Jesus turned the water to wine as fruit of the new kingdom that he has come to proclaim. It's not the same old, same old, Jesus says, but newness that I've come to bring. And may I suggest, in our New Testament reading, Paul talks about the gifts of the Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that pours out these gifts. Symbolically represented in this new wine that Jesus makes at the, at the wedding at Cana. But, but the Holy Spirit wants to pour out blessings and gifts upon us. He wants to let you and I experience his abundant life. So the question is, in 2022, will we let him? I'm excited for what the Lord wants to bring how he wants to reveal the kingdom to me in 2022. I have no idea how this year is going to unfold. But I believe that Jesus has come to give me and you life and life abundantly. If we respond to him, if we look for signs of the kingdom, and if we're seeking daily to do what he calls us to do, Are you ready to make a new radical commitment of obedience to Christ? Do you want to seek to know what he wants you to do? And are you open to the joy that he wants to bring, the blessings of the kingdom that he wants to pour out on you by his Holy Spirit, which is sent from Jesus when he returned to the Father? There is joy in the kingdom. There is abundance in the kingdom. There is life abundantly in the kingdom. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.